Hi, this is Judy, and I'm here to do another podcast with Anthony, who's doing all the technical stuff for me and asking me wonderful questions. And um, today we're talking about how to raise great fathers. Uh, Judy and I uh, both had, uh, I guess, experiences around um, kids and fathering and such in the past uh, week. I read an article in The Atlantic, um, and I passed it along to her, and she told me a story about uh, an experience she had with some kids uh, high school kids uh, here recently, and uh, we decided to set up the microphones and uh, do a podcast and talk about it today. Mm. Uh, we're recording this close to Father's Day. Might be listening to it after the fact, but uh, in either case, I think it's still uh, a timely, uh, a timely topic. Um, where did you want to start with the conversation? I guess I just wanted to start with the why I wanted to talk about this sure. and things that have happened recently and experiences I had in the store and just in life um, around males and boys. <clears throat> and the kinds of changes and struggles that they're going through. And because Father's Day is coming up, I was just thinking that um, we have a lot of issues with fathers. Um, everybody I know has a father issue, mostly around fathers being distant or controlling or abusive or not really being there for them and um, leaving, all kinds of things. And it just got me thinking about, like, how do we, how do we raise our boys to be good fathers mm -hmm. so that we don't all have father issues and that fathers can just take their really rightful place in the family as, as someone who's loved and not feared, who knows their children really intimately and is there as a guide and a teacher, not as a disciplinarian or as an absent being or a stone cold, unemotional, practical, logical person who's in their lives and never really deeply connects with their kids. Um, so it begins at birth. And I just wanted to explore that so that we, we have a generation of kids growing up who will really be wonderful fathers. And there are wonderful fathers, and I'm, I see wonderful fathers, and I also see terrible fathers. Mm -hmm. Well, the, uh, the, the article that I read talked about uh, kids that might be into their teens uh, who, um, as it was described, don't really have any sort of direction or any sort mm -hmm. of mentorship or influence. Mm -hmm. um, they don't have any sort of good role models. And um, yeah. I'm sure that started long before they got into being a teen. Long before they got into a teen. And, and, and I just want to address the thing about teenagers a little, little bit, which is one of the reasons that I wanted to talk about this was because of a recent experience I just had um, in a program that was set up for um, seniors and high school kids to, mm. get to, to get together and talk about things. And I had no idea what this program was going to be like. And it was at the high school, and um, it was arranged so that it was an English class, actually. It was arranged so that there'd be weekly meetings between seniors and, and teenagers to talk about what's going on in their lives. And I didn't think it would be that heavy, but it turned out that the topics we talked about were love, death, fear, loneliness, relationships, sex, the really, really big, deep topics. Wow. And so hang on a sec. So sure. I, I'm just trying to picture this in my mind's eye, a room full of high school students, high school and seniors. And it was arranged. There were two circles. There was an inner circle of kids who wanted to speak okay. and participate. So there was, we were seated like senior kids, senior kids, senior kid in a circle. And then there was an outer circle of kids who just wanted to listen. And, and their role was to take notes um, and have comment afterwards within class, but not in front of the whole group. And over time, the kids on the outside started coming into the inside, which was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And the reason that happened was that, I think because the topics that were, ch that were chosen were so poignant and powerful for teenagers, then they never get to talk about these things. 
And most teenagers don't talk to their parents. Um, but this generation skip allowed them to open up in a way that they normally wouldn't. And I think what, what made it so powerful was that the seniors were incredibly open about their lives and the mess-ups they had and the things that went wrong and the mistakes they had and their failed marriages and their unwanted pregnancies and their heartbreak and their all these things. We were so real that the kids became very real. And one of the things that came out of it from the, from the boys was that they are floundering that they absolutely don't know how to show up as a boy. Uh, they don't know how to talk to girls anymore. They're very impacted by the Me Too movement, and they just don't know how to be. And what was so interesting to me is that they would, most of them would sit there <clears throat> in the typical teenage slouch, you know, with their head kind of down, and you think, well, they're tuning out. And then they'd speak, and this like depth of feeling would come out, and this angst, and this anxiety, and this... It very clearly expressed, I don't know who I am. I don't know how to be a man in this world. I don't have any role models. I don't know, how do I approach women now? Like, I, am I supposed to be big and tough and strong? Or do I put them off? Do I alienate them? Or am I supposed to be soft and soft and wimpy? And then everybody will tease me. And then the girls won't like me. Like, where am I in all this? And it was very moving um, because they're really struggling uh, with their whole identity as a male. And, you know, the suicide rates are way higher among boys than girls. These days, yes. When you when you talk about their uh, their comments, these boys' comments about you know um, not really knowing how to be grounded in the world, mm-hmm. how do you think that that's changed, or what was it like when you were a kid? When I was a kid, like it was really clear, like boys were a certain way. They were not that they could be; a lot of them couldn't be. But you were supposed to be tough and strong and not emotional and distant and cold, but powerful and aggressive. Not very nice traits, actually, Mm -hmm. in human beings. And, you know, and it was, um, a lot of my friends were musicians, so they were kind of out of the loop, right? you know, and they felt as like they were outsiders. Um, But it was very clear, the definition of a male was very clear, and you were a breadwinner as a husband, and, you know, you had your role, and God forbid you should wash a dish or lift a, you know, or, or, or lift the vacuum cleaner or change the baby, that totally, you know, cut off your genitals, basically, right. <laughs> was how it was presented. Like, you just, you know, so the generation that came out of that was, was also the generation that started feminism. So we were playing a bit with gender roles, and, you know, the men in our lives were trying to be more sensitive but it was really hard for them because they had no role model so as they became parents they were kind of also torn between being a more sensitive male but wanting to be a macho male at the same time and I think that that's just perpetuating um, that confusion and we're trying to find I think what I would like to see is is a way for people for boys to integrate those two parts of themselves Mm. um, and feel comfortable in their madness with the, with the gentleness thrown in. Well, it's interesting that these kids uh, are that articulate. They could actually, you know, uh, voice this concern. Yeah. Um, that they don't feel <clears throat> grounded or uh, represented or mm-hmm. like they have any kind of um, direction. Right. Um, I mean, when I was a teenager, I don't know that I would have been able to sit in a circle yeah. uh, with a bunch of seniors and do that. Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. And I, I think part of it was that we just, we gave them such a safe space. Mm-hmm which is unusual for teenagers to have a safe space to talk. Were there any girls in the room? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and they were saying that, you know, in some ways they feel 
that things have opened up so much for them in the world and that, you know, they're still trying to break their way into a man's world to a certain extent and they have to push and shove to get in there. And they're, they're very conscious of the Me Too movement and, um, and also struggling with, with love, you know, how to be in a relationship with a boy if they're heterosexual or whatever, like, what does that look like? And how do you have an egalitarian relationship and all those kinds of questions. So th- certainly, certainly had those questions, but the ones who seemed most at, ill at ease about who they were from an identity perspective were the boys. Mm-hmm. And it was very poignant. It was very like, you know, I think everybody really felt for them. And, it, you know, in a, par- in a way they've been dethroned. You know, it's like, and you know, in most of the world, the men are still on top. It's not, I can't even question that. There's like little indents being made, but you know, they, they're, I guess they experience themselves as losing their sense of place mm-hmm. in the world. And it's just, it's a struggle for them. And you know, what also came out is that I'd say most of the kids in that group came from split families and they don't have good role models of men and women working well together and solving problems together. And I, I remember there was one girl who said, and it was, it was heartbreaking, she said, my mom and dad hate each other. They fight all the time. I don't see any love between them, but they're committed to staying together for the kids. And she said, I don't wanna be in that environment. And then there were kids whose parents had split and their parents either they get along well and it's very nicely balanced for them, or their parents you know, are still hating each other and still fighting, so they're not seeing any kind of healthy role models of how to be a man or a woman for that matter. So it's, it was just very, very moving for me and, and kind of upsetting, I guess. What was the sort of uh, uh, takeaway uh, for the kids after all this? I mean, was there another meeting planned or? I, I think we, I mean, everybody wants to move it forward, the kids and the seniors want to, and the sense that um, these kids really need mentors. Um, to, who accept them in their totality, like who accept them not only for their achievements or whatever, but accept them for their feelings and their realness where they can feel safe. And I think there's going to be some effort made to to have that continue. I, I loved it personally. I found it so enriching for myself, mm-hmm. you know, to have that experience. Yeah. It sounds um, uh, very curious. I would like to have been a fly on the wall. Well, there's a book. Lee Reed's put it into a book, which should be published pretty soon. Oh, lots of photos. And, oh, okay. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be very available to the public because it was kind of groundbreaking. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So, and these kids were 16, 17, 18? They were 16 and 17. Right. Yeah. Well, your focus is on kids that are a lot younger, I think, with mm-hmm. the work that you do. Right. And uh, dealing with uh, parents of, you know, toddlers and babies yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. How do you want to sort of segue from uh, teenage kids who are having difficulty to maybe improving things for uh, for parents with younger kids? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the segue from fathers who are starting segues down to the teenage kids, which segue down to the kids and down to the preschoolers and down to the babies. I guess the focus that I want to have is that the way we create good fathers is by raising boys to be the totality of who they are. And what that means is that they're, you know, they're strong places, they're weak places, they're loving places, they're kind places. There was a wonderful, uh, I, I wrote it down, um, something from Mr. Rogers, which I loved, and, and what he said. He said, the most important human values is res- are respect, compassion, kindness, integrity, and humility, hmm. rarely associated with masculinity. If everybody was raised with those human qualities, 
we'd have a much healthier world and a much happier world. And what tends to happen is that, you know, from at, at birth, parents sort of treat babies equally when they're so tiny and so fragile. But once they get like three months old, you see differences in parenting. Like what? That there's a, I mean, it's, it's been shown in so many research papers that parents are quicker to respond to a girl's distress than a boy's distress. It could even be a difference of 10 seconds. But there's a holdback from responding to boys because we have this imprint, this cultural imprint of not wanting to, quote, demasculinize the boys mm. and, or feminize the boys. It doesn't go the other way. Like people don't worry about having, you know, a, a, a tomboy or anything like that. And the feminine qualities, um, nobody has problems with girls having them, but they have problems with boys having them, but they have really no problems with girls having masculine qualities because they're seen as superior, <laughs> which is a whole other issue. Um, but basically the thing is that if we, if we could begin to raise our boys with as much compassion and care and responsiveness and love as we do our girls, boys would be able to value that part of themselves and see that it's important. And that as they got older and they got more into gender roles, to keep reminding them and keep parenting them with that kind of compassion and not hold back and say, you're a boy, you can handle it. Um, because it's it just gets so ingrained so quickly, and they go out in the world and they hear those messages, and it ingrains gets more ingrained, and then you end up with these kids, these boys who are sullen and don't speak much and don't tell you what's going on inside of them. They're unresponsive to their girlfriends when they get into relationships. They just are very emotionally isolated and very very shut down. And you know when when you look at things like, which is really going to the extreme, but like mass mass killers, right? Mass shooters. They're not kids who were filled with softness and gentleness and love. I mean, they were raised to be tough and cold and isolated and shut down, just shut down. And then if you think of those kids being isolated and shut down and becoming fathers, they don't have much to give. So you see everything perpetuated again. So it's basically valuing those qualities of gentleness and compassion and teaching them and modeling them for your boys as much as you do for your girls so that they grow up and those qualities just feel natural to them. Mm. And they can be integrated in with being, you know, tough and strong at the same time. You can be tough and strong, but full of compassion and gentleness and care and concern. Like it, it makes you balanced. It doesn't throw you off. It actually makes you a much more balanced human being. So I guess that's what I'm saying. If you, you know, a really good father is a balanced human being because he can be there emotionally for his children which is what they need more than anything else in the world. It's great to teach them how to throw a ball. It's great to give them skills, show them how to do the woodwork, boys or girls, whatever. But it's their emotional lives that cause all the problems in the, in the world, really. You know, it's like when you look at the, the dictators, you look at presidents, you know, you look at them, there's no compassion there. There's no feeling there. That's what's missing. And that's why countries go to war. And that's why people become racist and all this kind of thing. It's that it's not having those core, most important human qualities that Mr. Rogers tries to, <laughs> tried to teach everybody. Mm -hmm. Can you, I guess, uh, illustrate perhaps what that would be like? I mean, uh, an exchange that shows something of compassion. What um, I, I'm just thinking of the listener going, <clears throat> okay, well, that's all well and good. But what do you mean? Like, how do I do that? Um, just before I do that, I just want to tell you about an incident that happened in the store this week, <clears throat> which really just came fed right into this. There was a, a, a mother whose baby was born with a 
very significant neurological disease, which was operatable on. But the baby had to be in the hospital for down at Children's Hospital for two full months. And the mom was telling me what a struggle it was and that she got really sick and everything. And I said, do you have a partner? And she looked at me, she said, I did. He couldn't handle it. He bolted. He bolted because of this situation. Yeah. He couldn't handle the emotional strain of having a very sick baby and a sick wife. She said he eventually came back when the baby was nine months old and fine. And I went, wow, this is a man so out of touch with feeling and emotion that he couldn't handle, like his love for his baby could not transcend his shutdown. Um, and this just happened a day ago. And I went, wow, <laughs> this is why this is so important. Hmm. So I guess, you know, it's, it's, a whole, it's a whole philosophy of parenting where, A, you're, you're responsive to your babies. You don't do this self-soothing stuff where you step back and let the child suffer essentially till they quiet down eventually that that you you start from a position of responsiveness and care and clear expression of love all the time mm -hmm. like and when a child's going through some kind of distress you you comfort them and then when they get to the point where there's language involved you acknowledge their feelings you talk about their feelings you identify their feelings you make it clear that feelings are important in every interaction that we have What you're feeling matters. And that's, you know, it's a parenting. There's tons of research. It's not tons of research, but there's also tons of, you know, uh, websites, books, whatever, that talk you, tell you how to talk to your child about feelings. And of course, for pe some people, it's awkward because they don't know how to talk about their own feelings. Mm -hmm. But learning to talk about feelings in every situation, and when a child's losing it, rather than getting angry at them, saying, I can see you're having a really hard time and that you feel really angry or you feel really hurt or you're frustrated or whatever, that you're constantly using the language of feelings so that they become part of their inner emotional vocabulary. And if they're confronted with situations in life that are difficult with, for them, they can look inside and go, okay, I'm feeling this, 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 and this, and how am I going to respond to this? Maybe you have to respond you know, to a really tough, aggressive guy in a really tough, aggressive way, but you know what's going on inside you is hurt, fear, anger, et cetera. And that when you're dealing in a, in a relationship that you're in, that when there's conflict that you can each say, hey, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this, let's work this out together. So it's a whole approach to living where feelings become very central, valued, and important. I'm just thinking that, uh, you know, of my own experience with my parents, mm -hmm. you know, the couple of uh, country bumpkins that they were, mm -hmm. um, new Canadians. Right. And I don't know that I ever had that as a kid. I don't know that I ever was uh, really introduced to feelings or emotions or anything through mm -hmm. them, but yet somewhere in all that, I managed to pick it all up. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that you can say to people who are struggling with the idea of taking that task on, of being more emotionally connected to their kids because they, you know, it's probably bringing up their own stuff. Like how, how does one comport oneself when you have to do that sort of thing? Yeah. You know, like uh, I, I, I can think of um, guy friends that I've known over the mm -hmm. years who have kids who are about as emotionally available as rocks. Uh, right. You know, and I'm just picturing one or two of them listening to this going, okay, but how do I do that? Mm -hmm. You know, or just shutting the podcast off because they're too plugged in to actually go any further with it. Mm -hmm. is, is, is there an easy way for someone to sort of, not easy, maybe a sort of uh, a starting point for somebody to actually uh, start doing this for themselves? I think the first is to make the commitment 
to doing it and, and to feel like it's important and that it would actually really change your relationships to your partner, whether they be male or female or whatever, changing that relationship. And then that's not an easy answer. It's a big switch. Like people have to want to do it. You know, I mean, there's like from a parenting, there are books, there are books out there like parenting from the inside out, which talks about learning what's going on inside of you. And I think any basic parenting course that you would take would tell you how important it is to listen to feelings. And if you're open to it, you can internalize it. And if you just shut down, you just shut down. And maybe eventually when your kids don't want to talk to you anymore, <laughs> you'll say, hey, I need to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not an easy thing because it's such a, it's a massive internal change for a lot of men. Like it's so foreign to them, you know, and you can see them struggling. And and sometimes you see, you can actually see, and I see in the store that, you know, that men, they really love their babies and their children. And you know, they start to be expressive and then they kind of pull back. Like, oh, I really shouldn't be so expressive. Oh, I shouldn't pick up my little boy and comfort him. I, there's just this inner tug, you know, and if and if someone can say, it's okay, just do it. <laughs> just do it. Just let that be there, you know. And if they could access the love they feel for their kids, because they usually do. Mm-hmm. They just hold back in expressing it because it makes them feel weak or, or whatever. And I, I don't have an easy answer to how you make that change because it's a big one. I mean, I was not raised with anybody talking about feelings ever. In fact, when I was, you know, I remember my boyfriend broke up with me and I came home like in tears and my father laughed hmm. like, thanks dad. You know, <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> But it was just so foreign. Yeah. It was so foreign to them, you know, and also they came from a difficult background and the last thing people talked about was feelings. It was like, how do you get through the day? How do you survive this? How do you survive that? So I understand it. You know, in this day and age, in this culture, where we are right now in Canada, most of us don't have those kinds of pressing survival concerns. Certainly some of us do. But even in if you're in a situation of, you know, survival, you can handle it better if you can say, I'm freaked out, I'm scared, I'm terrified, rather than taking it out on your partner or taking it out on your kids. If you could just say, this is what I'm experiencing and I hate it, but, I, but I, I'm not going to take it out on you. You know, like that's not that big a shift to make. If people could say, I don't like the situation. I don't have enough money. I don't know where to live. I don't know, you know, just to be able to speak it helps. Hmm. You know, as you're saying that, it reminds me of uh, different men that I know uh, here in town with Mm -hmm. kids. Um, One fellow in particular has got a couple of uh, teenagers. They're 14 and 16. And the way he is with his kids is magical. Mm-hmm. He's just able to talk to them like um, young adults mm-hmm. and uh, joke with them and mm-hmm. play with them and just be honest with them in a way that I don't think I've ever seen before. And the kids really respond to him. They're the you know the the sort of depth of relationship that they have is I don't know how deep it is, but it's it's huge. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful to watch him uh, interact with his kids. Because as I've seen those kids grow up over the past uh, five or six years, I've seen how they include their parents in what they're doing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Something about that just made me want to say that out loud is that if the result of actually being more connected to your kids means that, then that would be a great reason to do it. Absolutely. I mean, that's such an important point. I mean, the thing is that when you have that connection with kids, it's so much more fun to be a parent. Mm-hmm. because there's just this, you're just connected, you know? I mean, you're going to have conflicts and all that kind of stuff, but there's a fundamental connection that is so fulfilling. And from my perspective, is the most meaningful thing in life is if you can have that close connection with your kids. Well, it's, um, this is going to sound stupid, but it, it's, they actually like each other. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I mean, I'm sure you experienced this as a kid, mm-hmm. where it's like uh, the parents. Uh, I I had other uh, friends who had you know little Italian immigrant parents or whatever it was who were horrible. You know, mm-hmm. close the door, shut up, sit down, do this, do that. You know, they were just traffic cops. Right. They weren't. Uh, they weren't friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's how they were raised mm-hmm. for whatever reason. But I mean, the contrast is just so ridiculous. And mm-hmm. I. I'm able to talk to those kids at mm-hmm. a level where if they had never told me how old they were, I would have assumed they were probably maybe 20 years older huh. or maybe yeah. not that old, but still, you know, like well mm-hmm. into their twenties, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to, uh, 14 and 16, just because there's a, a certain sort of sophistication mm-hmm. and maturity that they have that, mm-hmm. uh, it just permeates that whole household. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. And there are some amazing fathers now. I mean, there's there's certainly a huge shift going on. And I see beautiful parenting in, in the store and on the street and in the park. You know, there's some beautiful fathering going on. And I think there definitely is a shift. And, and I was reading an article about millennials and how they're they're certainly blurring the gender lines and that the, the men are way more comfortable integrating softness and care and gentleness and respect into their being and that they in turn you know, that infuse their parenting with that. And it's a much happier way to be. I mean, that's the thing. It's like life is much nicer mm-hmm. <laughs> when you can accept all aspects of yourself and accept your feelings and communicate with your, your children on that level. It's just nicer. It's more fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that's the, 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 the big sort of takeaway with that, that whole experience with my friend and his kids is that I don't feel out of place when I'm with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It just feels like, you know, we're going over there and we're going to have lunch and hang out and shoot the breeze and, yeah. you know, it's all it's all good. Mm-hmm. Whereas with other young adults or even kids, I feel like uh, a fifth wheel. I just feel totally out of place. Mm-hmm. And it's because there isn't that sort of connection between them. Yeah. I've, uh, I've had experience with, uh, I call them my nephews, uh, an old girlfriend uh, or a girlfriend I had long ago. I don't want to call her old. <laughs> <laughs> In case she's listening. Uh, sorry, her nephews at the time were seven and nine. And I was basically Uncle Anthony. Mm-hmm. And uh, the connection I had with those kids was a whole lot of fun. You know, mm-hmm. basically I was the guy in there, hey, kid, pull my finger. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> fart jokes right. and uh, reading them Captain Underpants. Right. Um, if you haven't read those stories, yeah, yeah. they're quite good. <laughs> kids, kids' books. And just being a big, goofy friend with them. Mm-hmm. And as... As I met them again uh, years later as a young adult, uh, Nicholas was in his 20s. Mm. And uh, I said, do you remember those times when we used to play, play around? We used to, you know, we used to roughhouse and, you know, your mom would give us grief and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, that was awesome. And he, w- he went on and he says, you know what? He says, my dad never did that kind of stuff with mm. us. Mm. And um, I said, never? He, he said, well, his, his dad was a softy, but he wasn't a goof. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and and I said, so would you have wanted it any different with your dad? And he says, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. You know, he he appreciated the way he was, and he sort of talked about how he could he could articulate things to his dad. Mm-hmm. And he says, but the the thing that I that I liked about you was the fact that um, I didn't have to be so serious all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I felt mm-hmm. I had to be with my dad. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I didn't want to put the spotlight back on me. Where I'm just more yeah. curious to sort of speak. But, about but my I'm glad you did speak about that because I think. You know, I want to be clear that what I'm not saying is that, you know, dads are historically the ones who do the roughhousing mm-hmm. and the playing around and 
you know, I remember my kid's father used to, we had this great silly, silly couch where you could take the mattress off and he'd, he'd put them both on the mattress and pick the mattress up and whirl them around the room. I mean, I would never do that in a million years. They loved it, you know, and because the men are basically usually bigger and stronger yeah, yeah. and they can do that kind of thing with, ki- with kids, which, you know, a lot of women can't or don't feel comfortable doing or whatever. That stuff shouldn't go away. You know, or dads taking their kids fishing or camping or whatever shouldn't go away. You just like if you're camping and your child falls down and gets hurt, you can be sympathetic and saying, oh, that must have really hurt. Let's clean it up. Let's clean up your knee. You know, it's just like, okay, don't, that's nothing. You know, just just tough it up. Boys boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. You know, just, just, it's, it's incorporating what's wonderful about being a man incorporating all this, the softness and the gentleness and the, and those respect, compassion, kindness, integrity into your manhood, mm-hmm. you know, and, and women are having a much better, easier time in integrating in the kind of the, the toughness and the perseverance into their beings. And the men are having integrating the more feminine qualities into their being because it's seen as kind of threatening. Do you, do you have any sort of ideas to share about how, well, I mean, in this case, you were talking about uh, older kids, kids that were mm-hmm. in their teens. Mm-hmm who are feeling the sort of angst around uh, not having any sort of leadership. Mm-hmm. Do you have any ideas to share about how somebody might engage with them at that point? With the teenagers? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a tough one. It's, it's, adolescence is a, is a tough time. And I, I, I think the major thing is to keep doing the same thing. I can see you're upset. I can see you're hurt. Do you want to talk about it? And a lot of times they'll go no and they'll slam the door and go into their room, which is part of their, their separation thing that they need to do. But I think it's for you to stay steady Right. Into who you are and acknowledge that it's a really rough time. <laughs> you know, I remember that there was a, a time when, um, my, my, you know, my daughter was going through real adolescent stuff and I was trying really hard to stay centered, but it was difficult at times. And uh, she and I used to go to classical music concerts at the, at the Capitol all the time. And I thought, I wonder if she's going to want to go with me. And she said, yeah, sure. And, you know, we, we went and we sat down and she just leaned over and she put her head on my shoulder. And mm. I just went, right. This is still there. Right. It's still there. And then, you know, when she got through that stage, we're like, we're so close, so, so close now. It's wonderful. But, you know, I think it's just staying the course that you are here for them and you are connected to them. And that's hard for fathers because they have tend to have a harder time with the adolescent rebellion thing, tend to get more angry about it. And if for, for dads to be a little more compassionate and remember what it's like to be a teenager and, and be available, just be there so that they have somebody to talk to and they, they don't feel they're going to be rejected for saying their feelings. And one of my funniest stories I, I, I told in the group actually was my mother, when I was a teenager, I was a pretty yucky person. I feel very embarrassed about how awful I was to my parents. But part of it was because I couldn't talk to them. They didn't understand me and they couldn't grasp. They were immigrants, you know, it was the same kind of thing. There was such a gap. And one day my mom came into the, my room that I shared with my sister and she said, I don't know what's going on in your life. You never talk to me. I said, okay, so here's what's going on. So I talked to her a few minutes. She said, stop, stop. I don't want to hear this. Don't tell me. And she walked out of the room. That was it. That was our communication. So, <laughs> I mean, she couldn't handle what was going on inside of me, you yeah, know, and I think that's one of the challenges for parents is like, you don't want to hear that you're kid is experiencing this stuff or they're they're questioning their sexuality or they're questioning their relationships and and because that's what they're questioning they're questioning the big pictures Mm -hmm. big picture things and that's uncomfortable for parents but if you can just say i'm here when you're ready when you want to i'm here what was that list again for mr rogers it was 
respect, compassion, kindness, integrity, and humility. That's great. Yeah. Uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, you, you talked a bit about um, uh, how parents can deal with their kids in certain situations. I mean, they're, uh, their toddlers mm-hmm. and their babies, uh, self-soothing, that sort of stuff. Uh, there's tons of information that you've already published. Uh, dear listener, please scoot around through the rest of uh, judybanfield.com and mm-hmm. uh, take a look at the other ideas that she has to share there. There are a lot of good ones. It's been really interesting to talk to you more about mm-hmm. this. I'm sure we'll uh, come back to this idea It's again. a big topic. <laughs> yeah. um, thanks for the talk today, Judy. Thank you.